you have a Bible, you can open to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2. We'll look at uh, verses 1 through 12 this morning, and the text is also printed on the bulletin, uh, on the next page of the bulletin there. Um, so one of the unique aspects of, uh, of Christianity, you know, there's a, every religion purports to be unique. Uh, Christianity can refer to, cite several reasons why it's unique. One of the, the big deals of uh, the Christian faith is that it's actually uh, meant for everybody. It's the universal intent of it. Uh, Christianity is for the whole world. It's not just for one group of people over and against all others. Uh, the message of the gospel is intended to cross all cultures. It's meant to spread across every land. It's meant to be spoken in every language. The Christian church is meant to be filled with people from every tribe and tongue and nation. People from all kinds of different backgrounds are welcome to join uh, the church and come to Jesus as their own king and savior. Uh, anybody can become a Christian. Everyone in the world should become a Christian and should join the church. And this is God's intent. That's a vision that he's revealed uh, to us throughout the scriptures. This is always his intention for all humanity. Jesus Christ is savior and Lord, not just of one nation, but of all nations. <clears throat> Matthew's good news is written uh, primarily to a Hebrew audience. Right, primarily to that, that specific, that narrow of a, uh, an audience, uh, to Hebrews, to Jews, talking about Jesus as the Hebrew Messiah, right? the fulfillment of the Hebrew scriptures. But Matthew shows very early on that this uh, probably doesn't mean what you might think it means, just that he's a Hebrew coming to the Hebrew nation in fulfillment of the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, he didn't come to the Hebrew people exclusively. He is the king of the Jews. Yes, we find that in our uh, passage but he came for the sake of the whole world. The king of the Jews is the king of everybody. And in fact, here in our passage uh, and throughout Matthew's gospel and really throughout the whole of uh, church history, the Hebrews have been uh, more likely to be opposed to Jesus than not. Uh, as John puts it in his gospel in the first chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 11, says that Jesus came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. But the Gentiles, on the other hand, right, the rest of the nations are seen to be more enthusiastic about Jesus. So that's not to exalt the Gentiles over the Jews in any way. Uh, it is to lament, actually, the tragic attitude of the Jews toward their own Messiah, but it's also to celebrate the grace of God, celebrate the grace of God that extends to all the peoples. So that's what we'll talk about from our passage this, this morning. <clears throat> Let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, in the gospel, um, you've spoken to us, you've revealed yourself, you've made yourself known and your will and your plans for us. You've made these things known. Help us to receive this word about Jesus for what it is. It's the most important, wonderful, life-changing thing in the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. This is really a fascinating uh, little story at the beginning of the gospel. Maybe it's not fascinating uh, for the reason we would normally tend to think. Uh, I think, uh, if you just read through this, we tend to be fascinated by things like the star, right? What This phenomenon of the star. What is it? Is it a comet? Is it a conjunction of planets? Is it a supernova? Uh, Astronomers have been divided on that question for centuries. Uh, What kind of light in the night sky would rise and then go as a guide before these travelers and then come to rest over not just a particular town, but a particular house in that town? What kind of light does that? Uh, Probably something supernatural, something not entirely explained by modern astronomy. Uh, but that's the kind of thing that people are interested in, right? The kind of thing people like to write books about, people write songs about. Star Bethlehem. But maybe we should be more fascinated with the people in this story. Uh, much more rare and wonderful and exciting and newsworthy than a supernova is the coming together of the Son of God and sinners in this dark world. So the, the real point of the story is not uh, mysterious astronomy or mystical astrology, right? The point of the story is people coming to the light of the world, not just the light of Israel, but the light of the nations, the light of the Gentiles. The nations come to Jesus like moths drawn to a flame. That's what's represented here in these magi from the east coming to Jesus. They're following the star that lit the night sky to the place where they found the light of the world himself. So we don't know much for certain about these magi, um, Some have said they were kings. Some guess there were three because there's three gifts listed here. Uh, That works out kind of nicely. Our translation uh, in English calls them wise men, which sounds like a description sort of of their intelligence or their education or something like that. Uh, But the Greek word is magi, uh, which is uh, is probably more like an office or like a title than it is a description of their, um, you know, their academic prowess or their wisdom, right? Uh, I think magi would be a better translation here. It's a title, right? It's a title that probably hints that they're from someplace like Babylon. They're from the east. Um, Magi, Babylon, those things go together. But we don't really know. Uh, It doesn't say. Magi were usually priests. They were usually experts in uh, mysteries, right? Uh, Who the the English Standard Version um, Study Bible, the ESV Study Bible, says that they practiced astrology, dream interpretation, magic, And they studied sacred writings looking for wisdom. So we read about Magi several times in the Old Testament, in the pagan courts of Pharaoh in Egypt, uh, or Nebuchadnezzar has Magi uh, in Babylon. And they're called on to give special insights and called on to give counsel to the rulers. Um, Usually they're the villains. 
That's what they usually are in, in the Bible. They're, they're the villains for their opposition to God and, and to his people. Daniel was one. He was uh, a Hebrew, a Jew who was in exile in Babylon. He was brought up and he was trained to be one of them, one of the Magi. Uh, and he served in Babylon as one of them for his whole life, which was a long time. Served different emperors, right? Even though he was a Jew and he wasn't a pagan. But these wise men who came to see Jesus, they're not Jews, right? They're not Jews, and that's really a big deal. You expect these magi to be the bad guys. Anybody in this time, in this culture, with a training in the Hebrew scriptures, might have expected that these magi were going to be the bad guys. King Herod would be the good guy, right? But, uh, but God blesses the, the magi by drawing them into the worship of Jesus. God blesses them by including them. In spite of their background, they get to be in the same room as Jesus. God had long promised to bless the people of Israel, the people descended in particular through that biological uh, line of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he'd always made it explicit that he was not blessing that biological line, that family tree, uh, that people, that nation, just for their sake alone, but that he would bless them and bless the whole world through them, especially through their king, through the line of David, through the house of David. So Israel's king, Israel's king had been big world news before among foreign peoples. In 1 Kings chapter 10, uh, David's son, who's King Solomon, he excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. Every one of them brought his present articles of silver and gold, garments, myrrh, spices, etc., etc. So it was customary uh, when standing in awe before great kings to give gifts. You give like the best gift that you can think of. You give kingly gifts to express your admiration of them as, you, as your superiors, even to, uh, to place yourself at their service. Right? Uh, so Solomon had received this kind of attention and these kind of gifts from all kinds of people because of his... Uh, great wisdom and the the centrality of uh, God's focus on him and through him uh, blessing people. So uh, 1 Kings chapter 10 says, even the the queen of Sheba, who is this famous sort of mysterious figure that we find, um, the queen of Sheba brought gold and spices to Solomon in appreciation of his surpassing royal wisdom. Even other kings and queens would come to Solomon, the king of the Jews. So there's this precedent in the Bible for this. The king of the Jews who received foreign dignitaries and gifts from afar. And in a sense, Matthew is recording that Jesus fulfills that that kind of thing, right? Uh, This has happened before with Solomon, but now there's an even greater king. There's the greater son of David. He didn't have to display his great wisdom for people to be attracted to him and to bring him gifts. He just had to be born. He just had to be born the king of the Jews. The Lord Jesus Christ, who was Lord at his birth, he needed no coronation, Jesus was born king of the Jews, as the Magi acknowledge here in verse 2. But the Jews, his own people, they didn't receive him. In fact, ultimately, the people of his own country, they sought to kill Jesus. While these wise men from the east had come to worship Jesus. And as these eastern Magi came, bringing their gifts, they were a picture of all the peoples of the world. Everybody in the world. Gentiles, bringing our gifts, bringing everything we have, and laying it down at his feet bringing our our gifts, our talents, our skills, our wealth, our very selves, the best we have, 
to express our admiration for the Lord Jesus Christ, our King. It's a picture of people from any possible tribe, tongue, and nation. Welcome to worship. Welcome to be in the same room with Jesus and to praise him. So the gospel of Jesus Christ is this, that God sent his son to unite himself to us, to take our humanity to himself in his own person, to unite divinity and humanity in his one person, to bear our sins, to bear our condemnation at the cross, and to die in order to kill our estrangement from God in his own death, to bring us back together with God, and then to rise again in permanent living victory over death, and to carry that humanity that he's taken to himself in his own person, to carry our humanity to the most exalted place at God's right hand, and to open the way for us to follow him into eternal glory, to be with him where he is, and to share with us actually his own spirit and his, his own life with God, and to share that with us forever. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gifts that the Magi give to Jesus proclaim this gospel symbolically. They just bring him three gifts, but they proclaim this whole gospel symbolically, right? Gold is a kingly gift. Frankincense is associated with prayers that are offered by a priest. A priest would burn these kind of incense like frankincense when they're working in the temple. Myrrh. Myrrh was used by lovers, and it was used for the burial of the dead. So Jesus, I mean, these proclaim the gospel. Jesus is the lover of our souls. He's the one who laid down his life because he loves us, laid down his life for our salvation. He's our great high priest in whose name we pray. And our prayers ascend to God like frankincense would if you burned it. Um, our prayers ascend to God in his name. We can relate to God the Father because of our great high priest. And he's the Lord of life and death. He's the king of heaven and earth. So whether the Magi fully understood all these things, uh, the significance of these gifts, or how they might have come to understand these things, we don't know. It's not recorded here. But we know this. Here are Gentiles recognizing Jesus as Lord. They're acknowledging him. They're praising him. They're responding to him as Lord, this little child with his mother. They're responding to the presence of the newborn king of the Jews. Gentiles responding to the king of the Jews with praise. Jesus isn't doing much yet in the way of activity. He's just there, right? He's just laying there, but he's already changing the world just by being born. God has ordained that this Jesus would be the savior of the world, which is good news for all people everywhere. It's not something the people of Israel were allowed to be exclusive about. Hey, the Messiah is coming from us. He's ours. You, you have to stay away. You don't get him. You don't get a piece of this. Um, no, this is not something they were allowed to be exclusive about. And it's not something we're allowed to be exclusive about either. Right, the Jews were exclusive about their status as God's special people. But that impulse demonstrates they, they didn't know God. They didn't appreciate God for who he is and for what he was doing among them. In fact, uh, that exclusivity that they demonstrate reveals itself to be antagonistic to God, reveals itself to be hostile, actually, toward God. So we might have expected the Magi to be the bad guys in this story, but it was the Messiah's own people who would kill him. Beginning here with Herod's attempt on Jesus' life uh, during his infancy, which is uh, something we're going to talk about next week, the passage talks about this. Uh, this week, we, we only see Herod scheming, and we begin to suspect that he's up to no good. We can understand that. 
Um, But in the next passage, we'll see that Herod's attitude toward Jesus couldn't possibly be worse. It's pretty bad. Herod is being exclusive. He wants all power and glory for himself. He wants to be at the center of things. That's not just politicians who are like that. Religious people are often like that. It's not just the politicians who are the bad guys in the Gospels. It's the religious people who are the bad guys a lot of time. <clears throat> right? Those who would claim exclusive rights, exclusive access to God, the exclusive privilege of God's blessings... They have nothing to do with the true God if they're like that. There is a sense in which the gospel is exclusive, yes, when it declares that the only way, there is only one way to have a relationship with God, and that is through Jesus. And there is no other way to eternal life, to have a relationship with God, than through Jesus Christ. Jesus says that clearly about himself in John 14. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But that's just the same thing as saying God is real. He's not the God of your imagining. You can't just make stuff up about God in your head and think that it's right and relate to him that way. He will be known on his own terms, according to his reality, according to the revelation of himself. You can't just make up what you like and say you have a relationship with him. God is the one who tells us. That you can't just worship any old God and pretend it's all the same. That your devotion counts toward the true God if you're worshiping some other God. I mean, that would be the same as your wife saying, if you're going to love me, you have to know me. And you can't be going around knowing all these other women. And just pretend it's all the same. And that your devotion to them counts toward me. Truth matters in relationship. That truth can be exclusive. Yes, in that sense, the gospel is exclusive of wrong ways of relating to God. But the gospel is universally inclusive when it declares that whoever comes to the one true God through faith in Jesus is saved and forgiven and enters into a real relationship with him. Jesus is the only way, and that way is wide open to, those, to anyone who's actually interested in Jesus. Who you are is not a limiting factor in God's love. You can be in the same room with Jesus, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. He loves all kinds of people entirely in spite of themselves. He draws people to his son Jesus from every conceivable background. Galatians uh, chapter 3, Paul writes this, In Christ Jesus, that's exclusive, in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God. That's pretty inclusive. Through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. You're all one in Christ. You can hear both the exclusivity of that and the inclusivity. In Christ, God welcomes every imaginable type of misfit among his people. He doesn't only love good, healthy, smart, well-behaved, attractive people. God does not exclude you because you've made a mess of your life. In his mercy, he receives the wrong kind of person to himself every day. The wise men from the East, they were the wrong kind of people. In fact, that's one of the moments in the scriptures that absolutely has to be true because it's too embarrassing to make stuff up like this. In a book that is geared toward convincing Hebrews that Jesus is the Hebrew Messiah, you wouldn't have the first people recognizing that fact be 
you know, these foreign pagan magicians, unless it was really just the unavoidable truth. But you know what? God isn't embarrassed by that truth. It might seem embarrassing to us who are trying to make an argument. Um, God wants this truth to be proclaimed. The reputation of the Magi as the wrong kind of people does not reflect poorly on Jesus. It magnifies the glory of his grace that he would receive the wrong kind of people. In fact, uh, that stands at the very heart of the gospel. Jesus only associates with the wrong kind of people. That's, all, that's the only kind of people there are is the wrong kind of people for him to associate with. And he is willing to take the consequences of our wrongness, the consequences of our reputation on himself, in order to share with us the blessings of his righteousness, the blessings of his reputation in God's sight. Maybe we're prone to be suspicious of people like, like these magi, right? They're stories. Prone to be suspicious of people coming to join us from uh, weird backgrounds in our worship. People who hardly know anything about the scriptures or God. People who have never even given a thought to to what life could look like in the kingdom of God. Yet who are inexplicably drawn to Jesus. But that should be a cause for our celebration. God arranged for these people to come and meet Jesus. Whatever the star of Bethlehem was in astronomical terms, however you understand that, in biblical terms, in Genesis 1... Right there in the very beginning, God made the lights in the heavens, he made the sun, moon, and stars, and he arranged for them to be signs, to be used as signs. And this was a sign, God arranged for this sign to lead these people, these wrong kind of people, to the newborn king. So it's no mistake on God's part, he invited the wrong kind of people to the party. And they were elated, elated, just to be part of what God was doing. It says, when they arrived in Bethlehem and saw the star resting over the house where Jesus was, this, there's like word after word spilling forth from Matthew's pen on this. It just can't contain. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And they fell down before him and they worshiped him and they gave him gifts out of their treasures. That's the right response to who God is and what he has done. That's the right response of anyone who comes to Jesus. And seeing that response should evoke our joy and our wonder as well. As we recognize, here are our brothers, here are our sisters, who worship the Lord, even if they seem like very strange people to us, and uh, we can't imagine why they're doing what they're doing. Because really, these, these magi, they represent us. It's not just those weird people over there. They represent us. We are the strange people. We are the wrong kind of people. We are the undeserving misfits who have been led to Jesus. We were the Gentiles living in pagan lands at the end of the earth. We are the nations that God has surprisingly included. It's a surprise that people like us would be welcomed into the same room with Jesus. Brought to worship Jesus as Lord. These magi were just the beginning of people like us being drawn to the one who's the light of the Gentiles. And that says more about who God is than it does about who we are and about... um, And so our enthusiasm for inclusion should correspond with that. If we are exclusive, it means we don't like the God who would do stuff like this. If we're exclusive, we don't want the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't like the God who would bring these magi to Jesus. We We don't want the God who invites the wrong kind of people. If we're exclusive, 
We can never reject others as the wrong kind of people without also rejecting the God who welcomes the wrong kind of people. We can never condemn others and say they don't belong here without also condemning ourselves and undermining our own belonging. You can't condemn someone as unworthy of salvation without condemning yourself in the same way and without demonstrating you, you know nothing of God's gracious salvation. We don't belong among God's people because of anything in us, but in spite of everything in us, because God has drawn us to Jesus, we belong here. We belong because he's invited us. God may use very strange means to draw people to himself. Uh, things we don't understand here, like a star in the sky resting over a house. And that's okay, as long as when people are drawn, they're not just drawn to the supernatural phenomenon, right? Um, as long as when people are drawn, they're drawn to Jesus. As long as when they arrive, they hear the true revelation of Jesus and they respond to Jesus as he really is. This is why Jesus came. This is why he was crucified. This is why he was exalted, so that all peoples would be drawn to him. He says that. So that we would all find ourselves to be maybe unlikely brothers and sisters in Christ, but really brothers and sisters in the family of God. He was sent to be, uh, as Calvin read from our Old Testament reading from Isaiah 49, he was sent to be not just a light for God's people Israel, but a light for the nations, that God's salvation may reach the end of the earth. And that means us, that means you, that means everybody you know. That means people you can hardly imagine or relate to. Jesus welcomes you and all your strange friends and family and all the wrong kinds of people in the world. He invites us to join him Jesus does in his own relationship with God. You're included. You're all included. And that is cause to rejoice exceedingly with great joy. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're sorry for the ways that we tend to be exclusive about how you've blessed us with the knowledge of you. We pray that you'd forgive us for that. Help us to love you because you love the wrong kinds of people like us. Thank you for including us in your kingdom in spite of ourselves. We pray that you'd make us more like you. Help us to celebrate what you celebrate. Help us to celebrate Jesus, whom you sent to save the world. Help us to rejoice with you when other misfits come to Jesus. Help us to participate in what you're doing in bringing people to Jesus, in revealing Jesus as the light of this dark world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.